Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. Today's episode is going to cover the topic of how to be a powerful leader, regardless of your position in your company. And regardless of your title, see, leadership is a choice and leaders are important because they truly get to shape the feelings, the emotions, the inspiration of the people around them. Leaders are the people who create a better world for the future. Yet so many of us in our jobs feel helpless. We feel powerless. How can we adopt the mindset of great leaders so that we can truly serve We can help elevate other people and we can show up as our best selves in the world. And so I'm so excited to be bringing to you Steve Farber. Get this. Steve Farber is a guy who wrote Radical Leap and it was voted in Fast Company Magazine as one of the top 100 best business books of all time. He was also in Inc. Magazine's global top 50 leadership and management experts. His website is called Extreme Leadership, and he is one incredible speaker. I heard him speak in Mexico around four years ago, and I was so blown away at the way he presented his models for creating extraordinary organizations. So Steve really inspired me. Now, his new book coming out has got a really kick-ass title. I love this title. It's called Love is Just Damn Good Business. And it's going to be published in September 2019. Again, love is just damn good business. So please welcome onto the Mind Valley podcast, Steve Faber. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley podcast. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great, Vision. Thank you so much. What a great introduction. Steve, we're going to be talking about leadership today. Now, why is this important to everyone listening? Surely, if you're a manager, if you are running your own company, of course, that's important. But why would leadership be important to everyone at every level of an organization? Yeah, I think leadership has become a word that we use too loosely. We throw it around without giving a lot of significant thought to what the implications really are. And there are some pretty pervasive myths about leadership. So the first thing is that we all understand that it's important, even if we haven't thought it through. And, you know, I've been doing this work for 30 years. That's all I do is think about leadership. But all of us understand, at least instinctually and intuitively, that leadership is really important. The myth is that we tend to relegate it as the sole responsibility of people who are in positions of authority, who have title or in a company who sit at the top of the organizational chart, which means for a lot of us, it's got nothing to do with me. And that is absolutely not true. Leadership has nothing to do with your position or title. It has everything to do with who you are, how you live, your perspective on the world, and your ability to influence people around you to change the nature of things for the better. So who you are, how you live, your perspective on the world, and your ability to influence others in a positive direction. Yes, to influence others 
in a positive direction. I mean, technically, you can lead somebody off a cliff. Is that leadership? Perhaps, but maybe not the kind that we would want to follow. So I think that caveat is really important, especially nowadays. We have an opportunity. You know, we throw around the phrase change the world to such a degree that that's become a cliche. Nonetheless, that is what our job is as leaders, whether it's change the world with the capital W or change the world of our immediate environment, our team or company or whatever. And that's an opportunity that's open to all of us. You know, what I would really love to do, Vision, is I'd like to cover four points. So wherever you are, if you're a 21-year-old intern at a company, if you're a solopreneur, if you're more senior in an organization, it doesn't matter where you are. There are four things I'm going to recommend that you do to, from wherever you are right now, begin to develop your ability to influence people around you, to change things for the better. Four things. Okay, well, let's get started. What is the first item? So number one is starting right now, reframe your perspective on how you view yourself as a leader. We see this happen in every arena. We certainly see it happen in the political arena. And the world that I live in and have focused on for the last three decades is the business world. So this principle applies everywhere. It applies in politics. It applies in family life. It applies in your community. And I've seen it play out over and over again in business. And that is a perspective that says, I see what's going on around here and I'm not happy with it. Someday, when I reach X position, someday when I've got a lot of money, someday when I'm older, some future date, when I am in that leadership role, damn it, I'm going to change things around here. So what I'm asking you to do is to shift your perspective from some future date to right now. So the question is, starting right now, can I view myself as a person who can help make this place better from where I am. And by this place, you define what this place means, whether it's this place, quote unquote, the country you live in or the company that you work for. Right. And you know why what you're saying is so fascinating? Today, something interesting happened in my organization. So I'm a CEO of a 300 person company and we had around 20 new employees join this month. And when new people join the company, I typically take them out for a lunch. I do an induction with them. I spend about three hours in the first two weeks with new hires. And I always give them my phone number so anybody can WhatsApp me with ideas. Now, today I noticed something interesting. I receive 10 ideas from the group of 20 people. And nine out of 10 ideas came from one person. One person out of 20 was responsible for 90% of all the new ideas from this group of 20 new hires. And I asked myself, why? Well, firstly, that one person, brilliant, firstly, I called up her manager today and I'm like, I think we need to look at this lady and give her every opportunity she can to rise up in the company because I like her ballsiness. And by the way, half of the ideas she suggested, I sent to the respective departments or heads so they could look into it, right? And some of them will probably get done. But it's interesting that one person had the balls to do it. And 18 people didn't submit a single idea and one person submitted one idea. Now, why do you think that happens? Why is there such a difference in how people respond to these things? So that it's a great question. And these are new hires, right? New hires, right. So there are many possible reasons, but I'm just trying to put myself in their shoes. 
I'm starting at this company. I'm really excited to be here. The CEO just gave me his phone number. I heard him say that he wants my ideas, but does he really mean it? And what if I give him 10 ideas and they all suck? What if he thinks my ideas are stupid? These are all the conversations that we have with ourselves. So on some level, it's lack of confidence. It's the trust hasn't been established yet. It's, you know, does he really mean it? Do I have something to say? Are my ideas valuable? And frankly, these are all valid questions. But the leadership approach is, let's find out through my actions, which is that one person did. So out of curiosity, Vision, the ideas that this person sent you, would you put them in the category of quote unquote good ideas? Some got me thinking in a different way. While five of them are not applicable because she's new, she wasn't aware about certain aspects of the company, five actually got me thinking about things in a different way. See, I think what many new people fail to realize, so if you're in a company, actually this doesn't just apply to new people, this applies to anyone in an organization. The higher you go up in an organization, the more complexity you have to deal with. And the more complexity you have to deal with means that there is never one idea that is boom, it. Rather, the big light bulb is a collection of tiny little bits of information that come together. And so this woman, and I'll give her a name. Her name was Martina. So Martina didn't suggest to me any idea that's going to be our next product or anything, but she planted tiny seeds that will stick to other things the company is working on and make those things better. And I think that's something that people often fail to understand and fail to realize that they have the power to do. Yeah. So I heard you say you did a couple of things. You distributed those ideas to the people that they're most relevant to in terms of potentially taking action. Then you communicated with whoever this she's reporting to and said, keep an eye out for this one because she came right out of the gate with these ideas. Did you do anything else? I went up to her at a company social and thanked her for the ideas. And I recorded a message back to her, giving her feedback on every single idea. Yeah. So that's fantastic. So what you're doing, Vision, which we all need to emulate, again, from wherever we are, is being really clear on what's important and being overt in your response to it, as opposed to what a lot of people would do is say, oh, I got all these great ideas from this person. She's cool. Period. <laughs> right. Right. So it has to follow through with action. And, you know, to our point, that's why this starts with reframing for all of us to reframe my view of myself as a leader. So if I really thought of myself, you know, as a new hire or early on in my career as somebody who really can have a positive influence now, today, I'm going to start thinking about how, you know, what I do and how I interact with people from that perspective versus I'm just a cog in the machine, man. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to share this story is because so many people listening to this podcast are in similar situations. They fail to understand the power that they can have to transform an organization, even if they are a new hire. Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, recently put up a really interesting video. He spoke about how he would notice that employees of his would come up to him after their third year when they've been with the company for a while and they have a great deal of passion and trust and they know that this is the place for them. Their third year, they'd come up to him and suggest an idea and then he would go ahead and execute it. And they're like, whoa, that's crazy. And he's like, well, it's not crazy. I like your ideas. I want to execute on these. And they would explain to him, and he confessed this, that for the first three years, they never bothered to share their ideas because they didn't think it would be listened to. And then finally, when it gets listened to and executed, they can't believe the number of ideas that probably 
never had a chance to shine because they were too afraid to speak up. And I want to just urge people here who are listening to not fall into this trap. It's a very classic trap that so many of us fall into. Yes, exactly. And if you are in a traditional leadership position, and by that I mean you have positional authority, then your responsibility, I believe, is to create an environment that encourages people to think of themselves as leaders. And the way you create that environment, in part, it's about being explicit in that expectation from the get-go, like you did. This is what I would love from you. Can you share your ideas with me? And here's why. And this is why this is so important to our organization. And then when somebody actually steps up and takes you up on it, then to reinforce it by, you know, through the actions and through the gratitude and through, you know, implementing ideas that you can implement. And the other thing, it went by kind of fast, but I want to make sure that we don't lose it. There's an element to this perspective that, you know, on the surface, it sounds like an ego-based, an ego-oriented perspective. I'm going to prove to these people that I am a great leader because that's going to make me feel good. It does feel good, but that's not the motivation. So the motivation has to come as much as is humanly possible, which is you know, it's a challenging thing, from somewhere other than my ego. I'm not doing this to puff myself up. I'm doing this because I want to have a positive impact. Now, what that means is that when I'm in a position, for example, of offering ideas that doesn't mean that my ideas are all going to be used. That my idea, even though it's not used in the way that I recommended it, and this is the effect that some of these had on you, Vision, can spark a thought that wouldn't have been sparked otherwise. And even though I can't attach my name to it saying, hey, look, that was my idea, this company, we have no idea the impact that we have in a nonlinear way through the ideas that we put into place and through the conversations that we have and through the way that we act. And that's a very important point. Now, what was the first principle again that you were saying, the first key idea? Reframe your personal leadership perspective to I can lead today versus sometime in the future. Reframe your leadership perspective. Nice. I like that. Okay. Now let's go on to the second idea. So let me give a little context for it. The subtitle of the book, Love is Just Damn Good Business, is Do What You Love in the Service of People Who Love What You Do. So I just want to break that down for a second. You know, I've been teaching love as a hardcore success principle for a very long time. And I believe that there's some baggage with it, right? It's a very powerful thing, and yet there's some baggage. I like to break it down to three sections. Do what you love, section one. In the service of people is the second one. Who love what you do is the third section. So to be more successful from wherever you are, developing yourself as a leader right now, today, from wherever you are. It's finding your heart in the work. Do you love this? It's using that to give great value to the people around you that's in the service of people. And then who love what you do is the reciprocity that happens when you do that. They love you in return. And that looks, I'm not talking about love as a sentiment here. I'm talking about love as a discipline and a practice. So yeah, it's nice to be liked and it's nice to be loved, but when there's that connection in a team, for example, we push ourselves to perform at a much higher level and to be more creative and to work faster and love the process, right? So do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. So point number two relates to that first section in particular, right? So that's why I wanted to give the context. And it's very simple. Ask yourself the following question. What do I love about 
this work that I'm doing? What do I love about this work that I'm doing? You know, you can pick the context. What do I love about this work? What do I love about this team that I'm on? What do I love about this business that I'm starting? What do I love about this customer that I'm working with? What do I love about this client that I'm serving? You pick the context. What do I love about this? And what I'm suggesting here is you may not love everything about your work, and that's okay. So I'm not suggesting that you have to fall in love with every aspect of your work. I'll use myself as an example. I love my work. I run around the world and I speak at conferences. I write books. We do consulting, the, the whole thing. I love all of that. I'll tell you what I don't love. I don't love airports. I really don't love the sales function. I don't love finances. But there are things that I have to do that I don't love in order to do the work that I love. And there's a technical term for that. It's called being an adult. <laughs> so by identifying the things that we love about our work, how does that make us a leader? So this is where it's all grounded. So a lot of times we tend to think of leadership. We go right to the external. We go right to the impact on the environment and the ability to motivate people and get people to rally to a cause. And that's all great. And it gets there. But it's got to start internally. It's got to start with your connection of your heart to your work. So to put it simply, there's no way that I can create, say, for example, a team that people love working on if I don't love it myself first. There's no way that I can ask people to really engage with me to change things for the better if I don't love what we're trying to create together. So you don't have to love it all, but you've got to find something that lights you up. Right. And if you can't, Maybe you're in the wrong career. That's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. But there's another aspect to this. There could be something, and people fall into this trap a lot, particularly early on in a career. And this is a trap that I fell into. So I started out wanting to be a musician. I mean, I am a musician, but I started out way back when wanting to do that for a living. And way, way back in 1981... I, two things happened. I got married and I had a family right away. And I quickly discovered that music and feeding people were mutually exclusive ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave up my dream to pursue music, which was a very painful thing. And what I did in order to manage that pain was that I stopped playing music. I completely stopped. It was like a gunslinger hanging up his guns in the old Westerns, right? And over the years, I brought it back little by little. And here's what I've come to discover. There may be something that you really love to do and your vocation, what you do to earn a paycheck is not that thing. The mistake is to say, oh, I guess I can't do that anymore because obviously I wasn't good enough at it to make money or I couldn't figure out how to make money or now it seems frivolous or now I don't have time or now. So even if it has nothing to do with your work, you owe it to the people that you're leading or will be leading to do that for yourself. Because again, that's where your juice comes from. We're not two different people. I mean, we play different roles at work and at home and our private life, public life, whatever. But we're the, literally the same person. I mean, literally the same person. And literally is a word I use literally. You got the same heart, you got the same brain in your head, you've got the same values, the same things that you love. So cultivating what you love to do outside of work is going to affect the way that you work and actually enhance your experience working there. So point number two really is very simple. Ask yourself the question, 
What do I love about this work? And I am the first to admit that some days that question is easier to answer than other days. Steve, I'm just trying to be conscious of time here. We have about 15 minutes left, and I want to make sure that we still get to get to point three and four. Let's get on with point number three and four. Yeah, point number three is where that love is starting to move externally. So point number three is about the people that you're working with. So the question at play here is how well do you know the people that you work with? I mean, to know them as human beings, not as functions that they fill. The practice here is to take a story inventory. And what I mean by that is pick the people on that you work with, people on your team, whatever the context is, and start by asking yourself, how well do I really know them? And the way that you can answer that question honestly is, can you tell me their stories? So take a story inventory, meaning, okay, so I'm a vision over here. I've been working with vision for six months or a year, a couple, and I, yeah, I think I, I know them. I know I can count them XYZ, but hmm, what? Gosh, that is a powerful idea. That's a really, really, really powerful idea. Yeah, thank you. And I'll tell you where it comes from in a second. But the idea is to literally sit down, take each person around you one at a time and write a synopsis of the stories that you know about that person. And here's what you're going to discover. Either you know a lot about the people around you or you don't know Jack about Jack. Right. So obviously where that takes you to is you got to build your story inventory. That means sit down, have a cup of coffee, and just be curious and learn about this person. So you see, we're not using this energy to tell everybody our stories. We're using this energy to learn theirs. And what will happen, and this happens anytime human beings share their stories with each other, but you're going to have a really amazing experience of connection on a level that you haven't had before. Because when you understand somebody's stories, you learn about what's important to them. You learn about their dreams, their aspirations, their challenges, the things that really trip their trigger, the things that they love, the things that they're struggling with. And the more you know that, the more you can not only understand and empathize with people, but you can begin to help solve some of these things. This is beautiful. Steve, is there a way you suggest we start to do this with our teammates? Yeah, so you have to experiment with it a little bit. Depending on the relationship, it could be kind of a guerrilla style, right? Like, oh, let's just sit down and have a cup of coffee. And you just know that your intent is to learn about this person. So it could be as simple as that, or it could be overt. It could be, hey, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to spend time getting to hear each other's stories and know each other. So we can actually make it an overt stated agenda item. I'll tell you a quick story about this. One of my friends and colleagues, and I've actually wrote about him in the book, his name is Brian Stevens. He's incredibly successful in the food franchising industry. So when I met him, he was the president of Marco's Pizza. He came out of Yum! Brands, which is a huge food organization, a really remarkable career. So he shared with me that his first position as an executive, so He had been a phenomenal leader from the time he was a freaking dishwasher at the Holiday Inn in his hometown in Indiana. So he did exactly what we're talking about here from the beginning of his career. And where that led him to was positional leadership. And his first executive position was given to him by his mentor, who was also his boss. And Brian looked at his team 
And he had a problem with one person on his team. So he went into his boss's office and he said, I'm going to have to fire her. And his boss said, okay, man, it's your team. Do what you want. He said, but just one question before you do. What's her dog's name? He said, what? what? What's her dog's name? He said, I, I have no idea. He said, exactly. Okay, see you later. So what Brian took from that is, holy crap, I don't know her at all. So he sat down with her, and I'm sure he didn't sit down and say, hey, what's your dog's name? He took that as evidence that he didn't know anything about her. So he sat down with her, then learned her stories. And they ended up working together for many years after that, had a very powerful working relationship. I love that. That was such a powerful idea. I'm beginning to get so many takeaways from this. For example, one of the things I'm thinking about doing right now is ensuring that the next time I organize a dinner or a lunch for one of the teams I'm represented in, we do a story sharing session. Yeah. Oh, it's very powerful. Okay. Let's go on to point number four. So point number four is asking yourself what is, in my estimation, I won't say the most, but one of the most powerful leadership questions there is. And I have posed this question to everybody from frontline solo or solopreneurs all the way up to CEOs. And it goes like this verbatim. What can I do right now, regardless of what anybody else around here is or is not doing to change my piece of this team, organization, world, family, for the better. What can I do right now, regardless of what anybody else around here is or is not doing, to change my piece of this world for the better? So that is the leadership question, because what led to this is almost a universal resistance that I've heard voiced from every level of virtually every company. And that is, ah, this is really a nice idea, Farber, but you know, you don't know my boss, you don't know this place, you don't know this culture, you don't know these people, they won't let me do this, I'll never get away with this. It's some variation of they won't let me. And really the reality is, if you're telling me that you'll choose to lead when the environment is right, you're reporting to the right people when XYZ happens, what you're telling me is you choose not to lead. You're choosing not to lead. And that, by the way, is a perfectly fine choice to make. This is really all about choice. But understand that that's the choice that you're making. So I've literally heard that from you know a president of a company who said, well, yeah, my board will never let me get away with this. It's like, are you kidding? At what point, at what point do you need to start taking action on this? I mean, there's always a higher position to go to. So if we're always looking at that and waiting for that to happen, we're never going to do anything. So if we put all this together, Vision, you know, these four points, it starts with reframing your perspective, right? So now you're choosing to step into that leadership role from wherever you are. Number two, you're starting on the inside. What do I love about this or about these people or about this place or about this work? And then you're beginning to turn that focus outward to the people around you. Do I know their stories? Take a story inventory. How well do I really know the humans in my environment? And then given all of that, given everything that you've learned so far, what can I do? What can I do right now to change my piece of this world for the better? I love that, Steve. That is such a beautiful four ideas that anybody can bring into their workplace. So thank you so much for sharing that. So as we come to the end of this podcast, all of you listening, if you found these ideas interesting, the key essence of this podcast is that you have the power to change 
what you're experiencing at work. Do not, do not assume that you are powerless. I see this over and over again, as with the story I shared, where people who are new to an organization or have been with an organization for three or four years underestimate just how much power they come in with their own insecurities. You come in with your own self-doubts, and that prevents you from truly speaking up, from sharing ideas. It doesn't mean you're always going to get listened to or that your ideas are always going to make a dent. But the fact is, when you claim that power and the four methods that Steve outlined are a really beautiful protocol that you can bring in. When you claim that power, it's wonderful because you change your work, which consumes 70% of your waking hours. If you're the average man or woman alive in the industrial world today. Now, if you find these ideas interesting, do check out Steve's new book, Love is Just Damn Good Business. Do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. So check it out. Steve's website is stevefarber.com. That's Steve, S-T-E-V-E-F-A-R-B-E-R.com. Steve, any closing words? I really love this conversation, Vishen. Thank you for taking it so deep. I'm passionate about this. I really believe that we can literally change the world, not as a cliche, but in action. And I think our job is to take that phrase from the category of cliche and put it into action. And exerting our influence through the power of our own hearts is the way that we can do that one person at a time. Amazing. Beautifully said. So thank you guys for tuning into this podcast. I will see you next week. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a review and mention Steve's name so we can share it with Steve because I know he'd love to see your comments. Now, if you're listening to this Mind Valley podcast and you aren't following Mind Valley or Vision on Instagram, what are you doing? We have some of the most interesting Instagram accounts out there because I'm a writer just like Steve and I love sharing ideas on Instagram. It's become my new blogging platform. So follow me at at Vision, V-I-S-H-E-N, and follow Mind Valley at at Mind Valley, M-I-N-D-V-A-L-L-E-Y. And I will see you on Instagram. And one more thing, when you follow me on Instagram, leave me a message, write to me, click on message, and let me know that you heard about me from this podcast. I love hearing from my users, and I actually respond to quite a large number of messages. So you might just hear back from me. I'll see you on Instagram. Take care, guys. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.